Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 269, nice, of the Falcoholic Live. I'm your host, Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by a full house of guests for our holiday special here. And we've got, first of all, you know him, ESPN's Atlanta Falcons reporter. He is Michael Rothstein at Mike Rothstein on Twitter. I believe second appearance, but it's it's been a few years. Uh, it Mike, couldn't have been that long because I've only been covering this team for three yeah. years. But that's I feel like, like we had you like right after like we first met, like at training camp. Maybe, year, yeah, it, I, I, yeah, I know I've done, I know I've done this before. Mm-hmm. I've was, been here in a, at some point. Some it was post week one last year. Yeah, post week one, yeah, man, it, was it a, might have been. It very well could have been, yeah. How are we doing, Mike? How's your holiday? I'm I'm good. Happy holidays to all y'all. Absolutely. Well, happy to have you. We also have with us, of course, Adnan Ikejad. Say which way, Adnan? How are you doing tonight? Uh, doing well. You know, hope everyone had a, a wonderful holiday weekend and you know, wonderful and safe holiday weekend, and that you know, we're we're ready to get back to the grind of some, some Falcons football. There you go. Yeah, I hope uh, hope better than it has been, but you know, we'll we'll. we'll We'll see. This week was a nice. This was a nice change of pace. This is a nice. This game was a nice change of pace for sure. Uh, we also got with us. We have Alan Sturk. He's at Alan Sturk. Very easy to remember on the Twitters. Alan, how are we doing this evening? Very well. This is uh, I think the first time in the Arthur Smith era where the Falcons actually have somewhat of a playoff chance. <laughs> I know in 2021 they had like a two percent chance, but let's not count that. But you know, there's some stakes compared to where it was a week ago so yeah you know, we got that working for us we do yeah yeah, yeah. no i mean honestly it's it there is a uh, there is a chance you know it's not necessarily uh the cleanest chance at this stage but it is a real one and we'll definitely get into that tonight among other topics and finally to round out our cast tonight we have jordan watkins at big 75 fella jordan how are you doing tonight I'm I'm doing pretty well. Uh, it was good to. I was actually house sitting for a few days, so I got to be around a dog, which oh, nice. you know that's always good. Uh, but no, it's good. Happy to be here. Get ready to talk. You know, some more, some more Falcons. Can't believe y'all have done this 269 times though. I feel right? bad for y'all. At least, yeah. This is just the numbered episodes. We've done like so many <laughs> other random other ones, so it's probably more right. like 369. But I mean, who's counting right? But it's it, it's cool. Nice number. Nice number to land on tonight for sure. Uh, is Matt Ryan going to be on the 300th episode? That's I, I hope so. Let's get we gotta we'll, get Evan on we'll that. Give it, yeah. We'll get Evan on it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get Evan working on that now. By the time we get there, maybe we'll have a chance. But uh, guys, welcome into the show tonight. We're going to talk about Falcons playing their first complete game of the season, obviously. See, uh, talk about that and if it's kind of moved the needle for anyone at all. Uh, we'll talk about those those playoff chances. They they are remote, but they are they are like reasonable. They're not like, Oh, if we have, you know, the moon in retrograde and we go through three different cycles of this, then maybe if we, if the Falcons win two games and they get into the playoffs, it's, they need a little bit of help obviously, but it it is somewhat within the realm of reasonable. Uh, We'll get into that. And then we'll get sort of Mike's take on, you know, uh, the fan base is is very incensed and and very hot and bothered about uh, Arthur Smith and job security. So we'll get Mike's take on sort of what the feeling is at Flowery Ranch around those things, among among some other questions. And I'll definitely open up the floor to everyone, everyone's questions here uh, as well. Before we do, I want to bring you guys a quick word from tonight's sponsor, BetOnline.ag, folks. The only people that don't get time off this year 
at this time are those pro athletes that we know are playing like four or five games uh, on Christmas and on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And of course, the folks over at Bet Online and folks with the NFL bowl season and the NBA in full swing over the holidays. Bet Online isn't taking a second off to make sure that you have all the up to the second odds, news, and info that you need to make those clutch bets this season. BetOnline has all the sports wagering information you need with both desktop and mobile access at your fingertips whenever you need it. So why don't you just head there today and get in on the action. Just remember when you sign up to use our promo code, it's Believe, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right. Thanks again to Bet Online. Thanks to everybody else. We got Dr. Concha 99 with the $2 donation. Falcons Country, let's rise. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I hope, I hope everyone in the chat had a great holiday as well. Thanks for spending some of your time with us tonight. Um, Mike, we're happy to have you back. I'm, I know uh, you've been covering this and <laughs> you were explaining that with your current schedule, you're up at four in the morning talking Falcons and then you're uh, on no, to Flowery uh, Branch. Well, <laughs> well, no, I mean, we have, we've, we've done some Falcons actually. So um, mm-hmm. this week I'm hosting uh, the morning show um, on Sportsman like on mm-hmm. ESPN radio. Six yeah, to yeah. 10, and it's also simulcast six to 8 a.m. on ESPN two, six to 10 a.m. On ESPN, we've hit on a couple of Falcons things actually because myself and Courtney Cronin, who actually covers the Bears, that and that by the way, it's obviously not like it's the biggest game of the weekend, right? Like that was completely coincidental. Just both of us have a lot of radio host hours and experience. Courtney has her own show on Sundays, Sunday mornings as well, and so the two of us have been hosting all week. But yeah, that leads to uh, earlier wake-up calls <laughs> that I'm used to. So if I, I sound a little raspy. It's because uh, this is, yeah, it's just, and also this is a grind. I mean, you guys know it. You guys do a ton of this stuff, even though you're not necessarily down in Flowery or, or traveling. Like this time of year for everybody involved, whether it's players, coaches, media, uh, even fans to an extent, you know, this is kind of like the grind. Like, like you know, Tuesday, or not Tuesday, that's how where I'm at, right? The like week 12 to like 14 is, is like that dog days, like, like the August in baseball. And now it's kind of like that playoff chase slash, like, if you're covering a bad team, like, you, back when I covered the Lions, you used to call it I-75 eyes, which I think theoretically you could probably do here too, except it would be I-85 eyes, where, like, players and, and coaches would, you know, like, you joke, be like, oh, they're, they're looking to get out of town when the team's done, uh, which, listen, A, they still, like you were talking about, Kevin, they still have a bunch of roads to the playoffs, not, and more than you might think, actually. But beyond that, uh, there's been no indication of any of that from any of these from any of these players. And and honestly, it's been like that. I would say even the first two years. Uh, obviously, last year I think they were eliminated by week 17 because I think they officially were eliminated in Baltimore. Uh, and then the year, but his first year, they had you know really next to no chance, but they officially got eliminated after they lost up in Buffalo. Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 interesting to cover because I feel well and you're right, like last year they actually did have a chance too, um, and and they really and it was like a legitimate one. And that had a lot to do with the state of the division. And this year, you know, with the division also in flux that that gives a lot of teams an opportunity. But this year, it's it's more that, you know, they're not just in play for the division lead. They're also in play technically for the wild card. I mean, they need a yeah. lot of things to go right for that, but there, there is an opportunity there. They need a lot of things to go right for the division win as well. But, you know, it starts with taking care of business. And the first order of business, of course, was getting that win over the Colts. And 
you know, I, I don't know about you, but this was like, this was the most impressive game I've seen all season. I mean, I, I enjoyed watching it as a fan, <laughs> like thoroughly, you know, it was like, wow, I can just sit back and relax on a holiday. Can't remember the last time we had a game like that. Um, was that sort of your, your take as well, that this was maybe that was this the most impressive game for you this year? What do you I mean, I, I go one step further. I thought that was the most impressive game I've seen under Arthur Smith. Uh, every, everything seemed to work really well uh, in in totality. Now, again, they got bailed out here and there because Young Lake's first field goal hit off was it the left left upright, um, mm -hmm. and that got waved off due to a penalty. And then he got you know another shot at it and was able to make that. So got bailed out a little bit there, and I think that didn't help you know change the tenor of the game. But the defense played exceptionally well uh and, and did not give up that back breaking they well they, they weren't in a uh, position to right which was helpful but they didn't go up that back breaking drive at the end of a game which has been really the biggest flaw of this defense this year one of one of the few frankly yeah. uh, and then offensively everything just looked in sync in rhythm comfortable good mix of run and pass uh Good use of you know some play action here and there. Uh, Heineke, he and Taylor talked about it a little bit today. Like his ability to go through progressions, I think really helps keep things on schedule. And, and that was something that if you go back and watch the game, or even you watch some of the overhead stuff, you can see it. It's almost like he's on like an egg timer, mm -hmm. uh, which is a good way to like where he's like here. And then he's looking for a beat. He knows what he's looking for. He doesn't see it. He goes here, looking for a beat, and then he goes here. And you can almost see him working through the progressions uh, to find some completed passes. And then he also has a better, a pretty good sense of when he needs to go and run, which we saw a couple times as well. So I thought they looked really good in every phase and also every part of every phase, both you know pass coverage and run defense. Uh, they did a pretty darn good job on Jonathan Taylor. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, you know, the pass game and the run game. And I thought, you know, the offensive line did a pretty good job blocking as well. There's very little that you can say, mm, I don't think that that really went all that well. You know, a couple of play calls here and there, a couple of throws here and there. Like, you know, Taylor could have thrown one pick, which was dropped. Uh, he said today the throw to Bijan in the end zone was late and that was on him. Maybe, I think that's maybe more of a 50-50 blame type situation. Uh, but I mean, again, those are very small things that you're talking about in an overall game plan that, uh, the game plan seems sound offensively, defensively, and they were really able to perform the first times this year in a fourth quarter to really be able to, you know, it's cliche to say, pin their ears back and go, but that's yeah. what we saw late. And, and we haven't been able to see that much this year from this team because it's always been a close game. So you have to stay more in, uh, you know, kind of what you do best and not get into more, maybe some of your exotic, go, you know, kind of go blitzes. Yeah, it was nice to be able to see them actually get into that playbook a little bit, because like you said, we haven't really had an opportunity to do that much at all this year. Um, so that was definitely nice to see. I definitely wanted to get Alan's take on that uh, as well, because I know Alan wasn't actually here for the postgame show. But Alan, what did you what did you think about this game? Oh, man, just execution across the board, particularly with the front seven. Uh, I think you talk about like we have a high standard for the run defense, but you just see, like, Kale London thought he had his best game. I thought Zach Harrison had his best game. Like, these are contributing players that might get 15 to 20 snaps, but now they're playing expanded roles. And yeah. I just thought they really shined against a 
really good Colts offense line. I know Brian Smith was missing, and you saw the back of right tackle kind of struggle, particularly against Bud Dupree. But just seeing the defensive line really impose the will, but then you saw the linebackers playing at the highest end. Like, I just did Caden else the last two months. Just, he makes about three or four wild plays a game. You're just like, you have not seen this from a Falcons linebacker in years. Like, he's just anticipating, beating blocks. Like, I'm blown away by how he's playing. And, you know, huge credit to Ryan Nielsen, who I definitely want to talk more about because he's just mixing up, whether it's the simulated pressures, whether it's the blitzes. He just had Gardner Minshew. I don't want to say Gardner Minshew was in hell because, you know, it's a religious, <laughs> you know, it's a religious time of year. But Gardner Minshew was just like a complete disarray. Like, he just looked <laughs> riled for about three quarters. Like, I was just – Gardner Minshew had no idea what was going on. And Shane Steichen's a fantastic coach, always has them well coached. But I thought the Falcons won the coaching battle, which you know, felt refreshing considering, you know, a lot of uh, concerns about coaching this year. You know, I thought the Falcons got the upper hand there and put together a hell of points. But I really want to give credit to the defense because I know Colts were kind of shorthanded, but, you know, that's not an easy offense to go against. No, Alan, you know what's really funny? No, please um, go ahead. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I was going to say, it's really funny. You know, there's been this whole discourse about an all-white team versus an all-black team and all, all that stuff, well, right? It's like the AAPI team. And there's the AAPI team, which they've already admitted they would not win, but their preparation <laughs> would be amazing. The analytics department would be phenomenal. Uh, next year, when the Falcons bring back Troy Anderson, you could be looking at the starting three linebackers. They want to run a 4-3 defense of an all-white team. Like the, 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 <laughs> Your three linebackers might be right there. Yeah, Troy Anderson. Caden Ellis and Nate Lamon. Like, boom, there you go. Moving on. Uh, yeah. I mean, the jersey match I mean, is all white versus all black as well this week. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I mean, look, if the, those are those are linebackers, like one of those positions where the white boys still have a chance. That's for sure. But yeah. <laughs> I, I I love it. It's great stuff. Uh, I love those guys. They're they're definitely playing playing their asses off. It's nice to see. And you know, Adon, I know we we talked about the game a little bit, but anything else you wanted to add on on that performance? Um, no, it was. I'm just going to echo the sentiments about just how incredible the defense was. The Colts go downfield on the first drive, score a touchdown. The first rushing touchdown the Falcons have given up all year, by the way. It's mm-hmm. week 16. That's insane. Right. Or to a running back, just to be clear. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, They've right. Up, they yeah. have given up touchdowns to, like, Clayton Tune. Yeah, and yeah. So, you know, I think they gave one up to a receiver. But, yeah, to a running back, which, I mean, that's wild. That hasn't yeah. really – that doesn't happen all that often within the course of a season. I don't think it's happened since like nineteen or something like that. And they almost kept him out too. Like yeah, it, yeah. it took, it took like a few time. like tries for, yeah. for him to get in. And then you know the Colts start. I mean, they were around field goal range on the second drive, and then you had those back-to-back sacks from Zach Harrison and uh, from Arnold Ebikadi, which kick him out of field goal range. And from there on, it was just a total annihilation from the defense like that performance was absolutely insane they had six sacks this game like we've been talking all season long about all right you know they're getting pressures what when are we finally going to get some of that regression to the mean with the sacks and i mean we got it this game and it was really nice to see some of those young guys you know ending their ears back and just you know getting after the quarterback and successfully getting after the quarterback arnold abicati leads the team in sacks he has six on the season. Zach Harrison, who had his first one last week, gets two more this week. Yeah. Uh, you know, Richie Grant got in the action from the secondary. Caden Ellis got one. And it just looked like Gardner Minshew was absolutely perplexed throughout the entire game. And Gardner Minshew has looked really, really good the past few weeks. Like this Colts defense just hung 30 on the Steelers last week. They had won five out of the last six. 
and the Falcons come in, they absolutely shut down the run game. Like they had 3.7 yards per carry. Jonathan Taylor, you know, who's a pro bowler, couldn't get anything going. And then, you know, the passing game was just looked absolutely stifled. That that performance from the defense, you you really can't say enough good things about it. And yeah, like you guys said, it, it was just absolutely refreshing. And it's a testament to the great job that Ryan Nielsen has done both this week and all season as a whole. Yeah, I agree. It was nice to see, especially the defense. And I, I love to see them get a game where they can just really you know, show off their strength against an off against a good offense and obviously not having to play Michael Pittman, you know, that helps, but um, still a tough offense to go against. It's really well coached. And Jordan, I know we talked about it uh, on the post game as well, but anything else you wanted to add specifically about this game before we sort of move on to more of the, the meta topics. Yeah. I mean, especially the, the, on the defensive side, I think there's two things that, you know, we've been talking about for weeks, whether it was depth up front, but also the complimentary football in terms of giving the defense time to rest. Right. So, Think about some of the drives that the Falcons have had offensively towards the end of some games as of late. There's been a lot of short three and outs, things like that, where the defense has to be right back on the field. And you think about some of the injuries that they've had on, on, and the lack of depth that they've had up front because of that. When there's certain times where you got to go rush or even stop a run, because again, we talked about it after the Tampa game, where Tampa and Rashad White, they really got going in that second half, right? When the defense started to wear down a little bit. Well, because the offense was able to sustain some longer drives consistently in this game, the defense was more fresh towards the end of the game. Now I get it. It was a double digit win. So it wasn't like they need to have that big stop, but you could still just see the energy that they had. It was different towards the end of the stretch of this game than it had been in the past. And of course, a lot of that comes from, you got some guys back, but also even with the guys that you had, they didn't have to be on the field as much as they were in previous games. Yeah. Yeah. And it just helped so much. You know, it was so nice to get, uh, you know, Lakeo London back in there. I mean, mm-hmm. he was, it was just really unfortunate that he and Grady Jarrett both went out at the same time because, you know, Lakeo London was really, I think, starting to come on. He had kind of mm-hmm. won the battle to be that rotational guy off the bench. He sort of beat out, you know, Timmy Horn and a lot of the other guys that were competing there. And finally, it sort of earned his role in the rotation and then goes out in the same game as Grady Jarrett. The Falcons take that double hit and the, and the depth really suffered there. It was really nice to be able to see him come back. And now it seems like he's fully healthy and ready to go again. Um, which has just helped the, the rotation so much. It, it's nice, you know, I think Taquan Graham is another another guy that has definitely started to look like he's getting healthy. Yeah. Um, and then the young guys, like you said, you know, Zach Harrison and, and all those guys. Um, and, you know, Mike, I'm curious, like, you know, from an outsider's perspective, you know, from all of us out here, like, we everyone seems to be very complimentary of Ryan Nielsen. Is that sort of the vibe you get in the building, too, that everyone's pretty impressed with the job that uh, that he's been doing on defense? Oh yeah, I mean, there's no question about that. Like, what they they basically changed their defense in a lot of ways, at least their philosophy, we'll call it, right? Like, I mean, they run some of the same stuff a little bit, and you know, they were really kind of trending toward a hybrid defense. And Dean P's really, to his credit, he was working with what he could. Yeah, you know, his first two years because they also were they were trying to mix and match and had to dump contracts and really. You know, I'd be curious to see what his defense would look like with this personnel or or this level of personnel, because I think they would have gotten a couple different players uh, versus what he was dealing with. I mean, remember, and this is not an off on Rashawn Evans, but Rashawn Evans was like very good stopping the run. 
if there if he was on the field in coverage, it was uh, an it was a choose your own adventure where most of them ended badly. And yeah. that, and, and Rashawn's like really nice dude, but I mean that's just the reality of it. But Nate, but the thing is, some of it's the progression too, right? Like Nate Landman, if he was put in this situation a year ago, it would not go well. It just, it just wouldn't have gone well. And he, because he's the first one to admit, like I've worked a lot in coverage. I've worked a lot because I'm seeing things a lot better now. And I mean, I can't explain why he's third in, in the Pro Bowl voting among inside <laughs> yeah. linebackers. I, I really, I, I've been trying to figure it out. I yeah. have no clue how this has happened, but he is. I don't think that that means he's going to make the Pro Bowl, but. Uh, but a lot of that has to do with the way Ryan Nielsen is using him and the positions they're putting him in. And sometimes injuries find you it, through injury, you find great players. And, and I think you've done that at linebacker with Nate Lamon. I think you can argue that you maybe have done that at corner. I mean, Clark Phillips is still very young, but you can see the potential there. But again, now you're going to have don't hopefully people don't take offense to this, but I'm sure they will. Uh, but why didn't he play earlier? Because you want to know what, if you played in week three, it probably would have gone pretty bad. Yeah. Like sometimes, same thing with DeMarco Helms. Like I know people were, you know, banging on Richie Grant for a while. Richie's very good at certain things. He's a very good box safety. He really is. He's good at get, he's, he's good at rush lanes. He's good at rushing the passer coverage. <laughs> yeah. Like, but, but the legend, is, you, know. you could not play DeMarco Helms early because DeMarco Helms needed time to figure some of that out. You've heard Jerry Gray talk about that. Uh, but that's true, especially when you're talking about third round. I mean, what they've gotten out of this draft class, every player out of this draft class, except for Javon Gwynn, has really been a contributor over the last month of the year. I know I've kind of gone off on a little bit of a tangent here, but in terms of Ryan Nielsen, Listen, they believe in his system. They brought in guys that fit what he's trying to do well, you know, and, and really what it's allowed them to do in part because of the coverage issues with Grant and, and honestly with DeMarco Helms to an extent. It's forced really Jesse Bates to play more of a free safety back end role because don't forget in Cincinnati, he could do anything. He could play. He was a very good box safety. He could play against the run. Well, now you're having him drop back and you're seeing those instincts in the back end. He reminds me a lot. He probably is a little better than Glover Quinn. Again, I, I use Detroit references a lot because I, I cover them. But Glo but Glover Quinn was, I mean, a hall of very good safety, like a yeah. Pro Bowl level safety. And that was the thing when GQ was on the field and was, you know, not in like the latter stages of his career where he's clearly lost a step. They didn't give up a lot of explosive plays because of his knowledge and understanding and positioning. And you're starting to see that from Jesse Bates. I think Jesse Bates will only get better next year too if he's still in this role because he'll have much more understanding of it. And a lot of that credit does go to Nielsen and some of Nielsen's schemes, but also it's having better personnel. And one of the things Ryan Nielsen does that you don't get to see really uh, unless you're in the stadium early on a game day is those young defensive linemen. So you're talking to Quan Graham, Albert Huggins, Zach Harrison, um, one other guy, too, is sometimes there. Usually if they're up uh, on a game day, they will – Ryan Nielsen will actually be, like, working with them and kind of teaching and coaching two hours before the game. Like, I've never seen that before, but, like, that's a session they do on game days. Hmm. And, and that's something that – that again, I haven't seen, but I kind of asked Ryan Nielsen about that, or I, I think it was me, or maybe it was another reporter who asked him about it. And he basically, you know, he's like, yeah, that's, you know, part of what we're trying to do to teach coach uh, the whole thing. He, he's a really good teacher. 
especially of defensive line play. And that's, I think, what they needed was they needed a defensive line-focused guy. And that's something that uh, Arthur Smith, to my understanding and knowledge, has wanted to build since he got here. And again, it goes back to they were hamstrung in a lot of ways. They wanted to have this deep hockey line type rotation on the defensive line. And you saw once injuries, because don't forget too, Contavious Street, who they traded for, mm-hmm. same position. He gets hurt after. So at some point they're sitting there being like, uh, do we want to tape two linebackers together and like put them there to equal a defensive? I mean, that's really what we're talking about at some point. And they've been able to survive that defensively. But, uh, you know, I, I know we're going to get to the Arthur Smith question, but I, I'm just going to say this and it's going to probably anger people. Remember who's the guy who decided to hire Ryan Nielsen, who had very little coordinator experience? Arthur Smith. So, you know, the guy knows how to build a, a staff. He really does because, again, and you have to remember, too, th- this was something that uh, another head coach I covered at some point told me is that when you first get a job, you might not be able to get some of the guys you want mm-hmm. as coaches because they have lateral jobs, they're under contract, maybe they're not ready to move, but the longer you're there, the more you can shape your staff into what you want. And I think we're starting to see that more with Arthur Smith and the type of staff that he wants. We'll see if he's back for year four, what, what that offensive staff looks like and if there's a shakeup there. But certainly you look at what they did on that defensive side of the ball and most of that staff is either promoted or new, except for Frank Bush. That's right. Oh, um, yeah. you know, because Steve Jackson got promoted. Lanier Gauthier, who's their kind of defensive line specialist, got promoted. Frank is still there, but they bring in Jerry Gray, who's been phenomenal in the secondary. Steve Jackson had been a secondary coach, and they moved him back there. And then, obviously, Ryan Nielsen. Like, that, that's, a, that's a good group, man, and, and that's, a, that's an experienced staff, and that's really what they were trying to do when they were, do, when they were building this, and, and they kind of figured out some of that defensive side of the ball because it's not just Nielsen. Like, Jerry Gray is a very big factor in this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, because I don't think Clark Phillips, I don't think DeMarco Helens progress as they do if they're not there. And you know, the last part of when we're talking about the defense, the leadership aspect of it is – should not be overlooked because, you know, for so long this has been Grady Jarrett's defense, right? Well, this Jesse Bates is a major leader on this defense. Calais Campbell, when he came in, I kind of wrote about this back in September. Hmm. He wanted to take a secondary role in terms of leadership, which is like odd for Calais Campbell because he's like Walter Payton man of the year, or like six foot eight giant human who's a natural leader. Like he can't help it. Yeah. And then when Grady got hurt, he had to step up a bit more. And having that void, I think, has helped keep this defense together where he's been able to plug that in. And where if Calais Campbell isn't here, that leadership void just goes to Jesse Bates. And that can be a lot for one guy. But they have different guys. And Caden Ellis, to, you know, who you're speaking of. I'll be curious to see if they do go to a 4-3 or more of a 3 3 Like how they use Caden Ellis going forward. Because remember, in New Orleans, he was – kind of almost like an edge rusher a little bit and we haven't seen that and that can make this defense even more hybrid more flexible because when they signed Caden Ellis it was like he was thought to maybe be a hybrid type guy and we've seen the hybrid guys on the other end where it's like an Lorenzo Carter and Arnold Abiquete Arnold Abiquete type situation 
well, there's that level of hybrid too, which will be really interesting going forward. Again, providing this staff permits. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely curious to see how they end up deploying that because it, you know, you're definitely trying to find a, ro- a role for Troy Anderson given how unique of a player he is, and we know what Nate Lamming can do. We don't really want to take him off the field either. So, uh, I'm I'm definitely curious to see what they end up doing there on the defensive side. If, like you said, they they keep the defensive stack staff intact, which I think no matter what happens with other Smith fans, certainly want that. How realistic is it? That's another question entirely. That, but, I would say, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's <laughs> how realistic that is. If, yeah. If they, like, that's... Bigger. It would be really yeah. tough. Yeah, you I mean, you'd have to... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, listen, it has happened before. It happened in Indianapolis. Gus Bradley was there with Frank Reich and Jeff Saturday last year, and he stayed. Uh, you know, I mean, when I covered the Lions... Uh, well, I mean, it was they got rid of Brian Callahan, but he was a quarterback's coach, but they kept Jim Bob Cooter initially uh, when Matt Patricia took over on offense. It, it, so much will depend on if if they move on, and it, we'll get to that, but who they would hire, and then there there's so many pieces to that. Like, not everything is in a vacuum, you know? Everything kind of butterfly effects out, and I think sometimes that gets lost in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll, I mean, I definitely want to open up the floor. I know we'll get to Arthur Smith at some point because I know that's what's on everyone's mind, but I definitely want to open up the floor. Jordan, I know you're a big uh, defensive line enjoyer as well, but if you have any questions for Mike or any anywhere else you want to take uh, the conversation. yeah. Me, a defensive line guy, where in the world do you Where get did that? I get that idea? I, I, don't, I, don't I mean, I, I no figured idea. your name was – I thought your name was just all about being like a, a safety man. <laughs> <laughs> Big safety yeah, this, fella. Yeah. yeah, this is a. Uh, I'm like Cam Chancellor over here. Uh, no, but I, I guess no. One of the questions I I would have, because uh, you bring up the point, right? I think it's a good point. You talk about Arthur Smith bringing in Fontenot. I mean, excuse me, bringing in uh, Ryan Nielsen. And so my question would be, and out of curiosity, if you had to put a percentage, how much would that really was Arthur Smith? How much is that Terry Fontenot? Because obviously they had the Saints ties beforehand. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, I'm I'm sure both of them had a hand in it. Like, there's no doubt about that. Like, they do work together. Like, that's not BS. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not – by the way, that's not – this isn't the only place that that happens. I mean, you see it in Detroit as well. Again, I hate going back to Detroit as the comparison, but these, these teams were hired. They were hired at the same time. They're kind of mirroring each other in some ways. I would argue that Detroit has always been kind of a year ahead of Atlanta because of the move they made with Stafford. And they kind of agreed to blow it up a year earlier, I think, than really the Falcons did, which was last year. Um, and also, I think Atlanta's dip wasn't nearly as big as as Detroit's, which has masked some things as well. But we'll get to that. Uh, but I, my understanding is that, you know, I would imagine both of them had a say. But if Arthur Smith didn't want somebody in there and they want somebody that matched with his philosophy, that's where I'm at right now, guys. Philosophy. <laughs> Um, it, it wouldn't have happened. Uh, so to, because they were recruiting, no recruitees. Sorry, been a long day. They were signing and going after guys, in some ways, recruiting and free agency. Uh, for the first two years, kind of a lot of hybrid guys. If you remember January, for whenever the season ended, and Arthur Smith was talking about he was looking for a defensive coordinator. He talked a lot about how they were building a hybrid defense and guys who could play mo- be in that hybrid role, similar to a Caden Ellis, similar to Lorenzo Carter, similar to even like uh, theoretically a Calais Campbell, even though we haven't really seen him that much in a defensive tackle spot. Um, you're seeing some of that. And I think that if there, if Ryan Nielsen wasn't capable of doing that, and we're seeing a lot of that right now, 
then it wouldn't have worked. So I, I it, to me, it was a combination of both, but it was very clear like Arthur Smith had a very large role in hiring him because I don't think that that, you know, I don't I think that would have been all that good for the harmony if uh, Terry Fonda was like, you're hiring this guy as a defensive coordinator. I, I don't get the sense that that would have gone over too well uh, in the coaching side of things too, because if you look also realistically, let's, like, look at this, a lot of the hires Ryan Nielsen made or that they made on the defensive staff had direct ties to Arthur Smith. Frank Bush obviously had already been there. Gary Gray had worked with Arthur Smith and been a former defensive coordinator. Uh, Lanier had already been on the staff. So Steve Jackson had already been there. So that was a lot of it, too, when you're talking about, you know, this move. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, and then, sorry, yeah, I just got one more question because, yeah. uh, you know, I was I was talking with Kevin on this in the postgame show. Uh, we brought up, you know, Richie Grant, right? He got the sack, and I thought it was a great move. It was, it was a swim move that sometimes I see D linemen, they don't do a swim yeah. move that good, right? And so if you could, because I know you're obviously at practice a good bit, if you, walk, if you could walk me through this, do you see parts of practice where some of the DBs, because they do blitz, they go through pass rush drills like that too? Or is that just something uh, that Richie kind of did? We only really see individual drills, man. Like once we get to this part of it, once the regular season comes around, uh, we don't really see all that much. Uh, I mean, truthfully, you see individual drills on there mostly to kind of take attendance. And occasionally I'll be watching for some for something specific here or there. Uh, but they do a lot of team tackling drill, or not team, but they do a lot of tackling drills, a lot of special teams ish tackling drills, a lot of stuff with the big, the big weird donut things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's tough to really tell that they do a lot of one on one, like kind of uh, get off the line release type stuff. So not, not, not really. I mean, that's a long answer for kind of saying no. It's not something that I was like, oh yeah, this is clearly something in the making, but. Go back to how I would point more to how they use Richie as a rookie, right? And they didn't want necessarily to use him in the nickel spot as a rookie, but he ended up being pretty good there. Rookie year, remember? Because when people all of a sudden want, why isn't he playing every down? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> but I think that what we're seeing now is where now that they have maybe some more confidence in Demarco Helms, where they can really use Richie Grant the best. That that's. Just how I see it. I mean, we'll we'll see what this looks like this offseason because you'll get a real sense of how confident they feel in Richie or Jamarco by whether or not they focus on safety. And again, providing everybody is still here uh, on how on we'll see how much they focus on safety in terms of an area they maybe feel like they need to look at in the offseason. But Demarco Helms starting as a seventh round pick as a rookie in crucial games. That that's a win right there, honestly. Like a seventh round pick is oh, and this isn't. I mean, we talked about. I've talked to the people about this. It's a dart throw. Like any fifth, sixth, seventh, even fourth round pick is a dart throw almost. And your dart, like you hit a twenty, you hit a triple twenty right now, with with Demarco Helms, and and it could get even better because he's got really good instincts. Yeah, yeah, good stuff there. Appreciate that information and. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can never slander Richie Grant too much since he's a UCF legend. Um, him and Mike Hughes, you know, I got to stick up for my guys. But, um, you know, Ed, he's played. I, Mike Hughes has played better of late. I mean, he has. He has. Yeah, I mean, I keep him off punts, of course, but yeah. Nevertheless, well, yeah. well, that was, that was I mean, listen, yeah, no, but, yeah. but but yeah, I mean, I know that that's a big, at least on Twitter X, Twix, whatever the hell you want to call it. Twix. 
Um, Twix, oh, that's so. what I've been calling it for oh, a while. Exactly. Um, but I mean, that's like a big thing that, that I've gotten is like, well, why? Why is Mike Hughes playing over Diop? Well, Mike Hughes is better against the run. He is. He's better against the run. He's a bit bigger. He has more experience. And D's a good player, but also D's their punt returner. And if you look at how they've used punt returners in Arthur Smith's three years, that ends up being a somewhat exclusive role. Now, granted, it's been Avery, you know, and Avery was a depth corner and then a depth running back who they used sparingly when they had to. But I mean, think of it this way. Say you they're playing so much nickel. Say you're playing, say you play a, a seven, eight play drive. The offer's out there for every play, and then he's going back there for a punt return. Like you're not getting a very fresh punt returner back there, especially when you're talking about how long this, how often this defense has been on the field. I'm not excusing it. The last couple of weeks, I asked these questions today of Arthur Smith and of Jerry Gray, and it very much sounded like uh, I'm boiling down here. Mike Hughes is, they feel Mike Hughes is maybe better against the run. That's my interpretation of what they were saying. Mm-hmm. And the last two opponents, due to weather and personnel, have been much more run-heavy teams, certainly the Colts, and I would say pretty much certainly Carolina yeah. uh, between their personnel and weather. So uh, we'll see, and I would imagine it might be more the same this week against Chicago. Well, so we'll see what it looks like against New Orleans uh, and, and kind of go from there. But I, I don't think they're down on D. Alford that much. I think it might just be per- circumstance more than anything else. Yeah, so you're, yeah, okay, I got you. So you're, you're, read on it is that they feel that Mike Hughes is a more reliable run defender. And that's why that's how I'm reading it. Yeah. I mean, that's not, that's not like any super insidery information. That's just kind of how I'm reading what I, from people I've talked to and also uh, listening to, to pressers. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Yeah. I mean, Alan and, uh, and Adnan, you guys have any questions for Mike before we we move on to to the big one. I'd also don't know if you need to take off soon, Mike, but no, I'm okay for right now. Okay. I think let's just open up with Arthur Smith. uh, Just, yeah. Yeah, of course, we'll we'll talk a little bit about Chicago, but I don't know. We, you get outside reports every week. You, you know, you see the press conference, you things get a bit testy. But it seems Arthur Blank, you know, he's very loyal to his staff. He's someone that it just it takes a lot for him to break away from something that he's building. It seems like he's made a real commitment to Arthur Smith. So how do you gauge it right now, especially after such a feel-good morale-boosting win? I mean, I always look at it like this. You know, and this is not... I have not talked to Arthur Blank. He, he's generally, you know, I know he talked to Jeff Schultz a little bit. Uh, Jeff Schultz actually retired after his retirement today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't know that. That's a big loss in the Atlanta journalism community yeah, and journalism community huge. as a whole. Yeah. Jeff is an incredible, I mean, he's been a mentor to me in the three years that I've been here. Uh, and he's been a mentor to countless other writers. And he's a damn good reporter. Um, but, you know, obviously when Arthur Blank went on Georgia public radio or public broadcasting, sorry. And, had said that they're committed to him, but we'll see what happens at the end of the season. Uh, it's not an easy decision, but to me, this is just me, very clear, me. I think you have to look at the full body of work, not just this season. And when you look at the full body of work, I think it's hard to move on from him after three years because year one and year two were not supposed to be as good as they were. And you saw what he can do with, uh, frankly, uh, roster that was, I mean, last year's roster realistically was kind of in the bottom third of the NFL, if not further down when you look at it and how much turnover they had. And 
I'm saying all of that to say, yeah, I don't think this season went to their expectation, but I mean, every radio show I was on, every thing I wrote uh, I, before the season, I said the same thing. If they got average quarterback play, they would run away with this division. If they didn't, all bets were off, and who knows what this would look like. Well, the reality is it became an above-average quarterback play – or, sorry, below-average quarterback situ- play situation most weeks. Sorry if there's, like, a light flickering. <laughs> it's okay. I, my, no, like, my landlords are are off – like, have been off the last couple of days. It's been annoying. Anyway, so um, we, we saw below-average quarterback play, and – even still, they were putting up points on offense. They were moving the ball. They just had a quarterback in Desmond Ritter who, who just, when he wasn't fumbling the ball, he was throwing picks at the absolute worst times. Like, he throws that Carolina pick in the first quarter. They're probably winning that game. Like, realistically. Uh, and if Bajan doesn't fumble that far down, I mean, they're winning that game, realistically. And then none of these conversations, by the way, are happening if they beat Carolina. Like, that's the thing. You know, they beat Carolina, and they hold on for and – and their defense doesn't fall apart in the last minute against Tampa or last two minutes against Tampa. You're not having this conversation. And, of course, these are all – you can play this game all, all season long, right, because they're, they live in close games. But that's the other part of it. They haven't been blown out except for against Detroit, and Detroit's pretty darn good. And in London against Jacksonville, but even then they hung in there in the second half after a disastrous first half. But I would say this, as this is a lot, I mean, this is a long nuanced thing of which I'm only really touching the, the surface of, right? You can tell when a coach loses the locker room. You can tell in the locker room, you can tell on the field. I can tell you being in this locker room every day, I think I've missed like five days all year. Um, he hasn't lost this locker room. Like I talk to guys all the time and I, I know when a guy's saying something just because he has to say it and saying something when he actually means it, because I've covered some coaches that have lost locker rooms. I've covered more than one coach that has lost a locker room and, and you hear it, and you know it. I don't get the sense to almost a guy that I've talked to. And I say almost just because I haven't talked to every, all 69 guys in the locker room that, that he has not lost his locker room. And that's a big thing. And the other part of it is if he did lose this locker room, they don't play like they did last Sunday. They just don't. I mean, you, you saw what happened in Vegas. You saw what happened with the chargers. You know, I mean, in some cases you can even see what, some games in you know other places that have been having coaching conversations look like we haven't seen that from this team this year because even in games when they've played poorly it's again been a turnover situation Taylor Heineke said it today that their story of their season has just been kind of turnovers at bad times and uh you know some ball security stuff and that's true I mean you don't throw three picks against Washington, you're probably winning that game. I mean, I'd even – I'll go one step further. And it, this is going to be the loss that I think if, – if they play well the last two weeks, the loss that's going to haunt them the most is not going to be Car- – well, to an extent, it will be Carolina. But beyond that one, it will be that Minnesota game. Because if Jaron Hall doesn't get hurt, they're going to win that game. Yeah. Because Jaron Hall could not do anything. 
in the first quarter. Then he gets hurt. And then Josh Dobbs comes in and Josh Dobbs just plays off instinct. And Jaron Hall was not the same type of quarterback as Josh Dobbs. And, you know, that was Taylor Heineke's first start. And also that game plays into the wild card race now, too. So just saying, like, that that's what we're talking. We're talking about, like, razor-thin margins here. And I think that a lot of times that gets lost in the overall conversation of they're not using this player right. Well, for who? Says who? That's, that's to me, my question is, well, they, they, they work with these guys every day. Like, you know, and sometimes situations dictate stuff. Like, I know people were up in arms that they didn't use Bijan a lot against Carolina. Uh, hi, Bijan's fumbled three or four times this year. And Tyler Algier, like, legitimately is a fall forward back. And CP is a fall forward back in the game where it's, I mean, that thing was, that's, they played in Carolina the last two years in monsoons. You want the guy who's going to hold on to the ball in a monsoon. And that's why they gave the ball to Tyler Algier. It was a between the tackles thing too. Like, I mean, and you were playing with the offensive line that was, you know, Jake has been playing hurt. Chris didn't play. McGarry hasn't played, although Storm Norton's played well. I mean, like, remember too, they had offensive line issues there as well. I'm just saying, these are all things that factor in. And I imagine that will factor into Arthur Blank's decision as well to kind of circle back to what you had asked before. I don't know if a decision has been made. I really don't. Uh, and I'm not going to pretend to say I do. Uh, I, but I do think that, you know, if they continue to play like they did on Sunday, the last two weeks, like the evidence is, it would be a favorable thing for Arthur Smith, especially if they somehow win the last two, because then you're nine and eight. And I think it's an academic question at that point, because this team hasn't yeah. been over hundred since 2017, even eight and nine. I mean, you split these last two. I, I mean, to me, it's, yeah, I would be pretty surprised at that point. Yeah. I- it does seem like it's an open question. Like, I mean, obviously I, I know there are a lot of fans and a lot of frustrations and, you know, I think I've been very critical of the offense. I do love the defense. So it's kind of like, how much of that do you put on, you know, like, again, maybe you should give Arthur Smith credit for building the defensive staff too. It's not just Fontenot doing that, you know, it is Arthur Smith and there's a lot that goes into that. You know, I think a lot of people are obviously, it, it all comes back to the offense, right? Because the defense I think has more than outperformed expectation um and the frustrations on offense you know uh, i think it it comes back to like we we spent three first round picks on skill position players and fair or not they're they're not really being utilized like people would expect those players to be utilized other than drake london i think drake london is the one that has consistently lived up to what people would expect but it's gonna probably be a thousand yard receiver this year. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not complaining uh, too much about Drake London. Yeah. Met, you know, and he and he missed yeah. it. Uh, yeah. And by the way, the thing with Bijan, right? Like, how do I say this? Right. the The issue is the touchdown. The issue was the touchdowns. I think if he had, had if two or three more of his touches had gone for touchdowns, no one's talking about it because the issue was red zone. Uh, for first part of the season, because you look at it, he was getting about 20 touches a game. Miran Fader uh, from the ringer wrote actually a really, I thought phenomenal profile of the John that ran today. And it legitimately talks about how in college, they very much in Texas said, Hey, we don't want to use you 30 or 40 times a game because we're going to wear you down and wear you out. Well, same thing happened here. Like you have to look when you're talking about Bijan, because he's like second in the NFL and routes run. Right. And 
I think he's like among running backs, like he's high up there in targets too. Well, you have to look with Bajan specifically, not necessarily the touches, but the opportunities. Because if he's getting seven targets a game, six to seven targets a game, and usually he's been getting around five, well, you hope that he's catching those. So all of a sudden, that number is 20 a game, and no one's talking about it. But if he only catches one of them, then it's like, oh, we only had 15 targets or 15 touches. Well, yeah, but he also had five balls that were thrown that were incomplete, either due to the quarterback or, or Bijan. I mean, well, you, you can't make a guy catch every pass. <laughs> I, I don't think. I mean, you know, uh, unless it's Larry Centers from back in the day. Like, you can't make a guy catch every pass. I, you know, that, that's been my thing. I wrote a story back, what, in November, I think, about Bijan's usage and how, like, there were a lot of misnomers about it. And, and I truly believe that to be the case. They don't – they if you would run him 30 times a game – I mean, remember this, too, you know, it's – December 27th, he has not, and, you know, people should knock on wood with what I'm about to say, he has not missed a game and barely missed a drive, except for illness, you know, not not to anything other than illness. And that, by the way, that Tampa game, which they got fined for, yeah, that started so much of that usage conversation. Yeah, yeah. Because before that, that conversation wasn't happening. But <laughs> it pissed it all, a lot of people off, yeah. <laughs> it, it did, and... Uh, you know, I mean, should they have probably said something? Yeah, maybe, but <laughs> like it, it gets so it get, like the the machinations on that are so kind of weird because like Bijan told us after the game that it was like Saturday night started feeling well, but he didn't say, "Oh, I went and told the trainer." Right, and like we don't know exactly when they he told the Falcons how he was feeling, and that is, goes into reporting anyway. Yeah, we're not going to touch that never, too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I don't really want to go down this road right now. Yeah. Yeah, we won't touch that too much. But uh, no, I mean, uh, suffice to say that they probably should have reported it better. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't think they were intentionally misleading anyone. But no, I, uh, I don't I don't think that they were intentionally. I, I've covered a team that did, because if you remember the Lions and was 18 or 19, did that with Matthew Stafford when like he bro legitimately broke his back. And they were like, oh, he's questionable. Oh, he's doubtful. Oh, he's out. <laughs> and the dude legitimately had a broken back, like, or a fractured back. Yeah. I've seen the deceitfulness. This was not that because, you know, Bajon practiced in full that Friday. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. No, no. Yeah, no. It, yeah. But I, I think that they've learned their lesson. It seems like it wasn't a, a, ma a major thing. The NFL obviously put out some relatively hefty fines, but. That seems to be the end of it. Uh, I know people were like, oh, are they going to get a draft pick taken? No, no, it's not that no, serious. But, no, I mean, uh, that, that's been consistent. What they get, what they got was what was consistent with what uh, other, like the Lions got a very similar uh, fine. The only difference was that Ter uh, Bob Quinn got fined where Terry Fontenot did not. That's the only difference in terms of the fine structure between what happened with the Lions in 19. And uh, it's very similar to what happened with Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers uh, back when too. Like, that, that seems to be a pretty standard thing with, with how they report those things. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. I know we're up, we're up over, uh, getting up to an hour now. Adnan, is there any, anything else you wanted to ask? Anything else you wanted to touch on while we, while no. we have Mike here? Yeah. No, Mike, uh, you talked about the quarterback position. I, I'm not going to ask you like, you know, any insider stuff of all, like, what are they, what are they thinking about in the off season? Because obviously, you know, we don't know that, but 
if you had your GM hat on, what would you do with the quarterback position this offseason? Would you go? Oh, I mean, I, I'm bringing in a guy. I may be bringing in two or three. I mean, and I don't think that's – I would be surprised if they didn't. Again, it all is going to start with who's running the show, right? right. Like, you know, that that's part of it. But, I, I mean, I've seen this out there, and I shouldn't even, like, give this an ounce's worth of attention. But – People are like, oh, if they bring back Arthur Smith, it means Desmond Ritter's going to start again. <laughs> if, yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I hope my face tells you exactly <laughs> what I mean. I mean, like, that, no, that does not mean that. And I, I, I don't think that that would be the case. They, they're going to try to add a quarterback. I would be floored if they do not try to add a quarterback or maybe two this offseason. What I mean, I, some of it might depend how Taylor plays because Taylor Heineke is under contract for next year. Taylor Heineke is a perfectly good backup quarterback. Like he's probably on the higher end of backup quarterbacks. And then if depending on how it shakes out, he's a guy that you can live with in a quarterback competition, especially if it's with a younger, like a rookie quarterback, right? Like you can live with that if that's what you're doing. Uh, but I, I don't know what they're going to do because there's so many questions that have to be answered before you get to that point. Yeah. Because let's just say they bring in a new coaching staff. Well, what does that coach want? Does that coach have any ties to a guy who's maybe a free agent or can be traded for? Uh, what type of offense is that that person going to run? Like all of those things need to get answered. And then even with Arthur Smith, we've seen his offense evolve year over year, even though people don't necessarily want to believe it. There has been evolutions to it. And what do they, what does he maybe want to run based off of the personnel he's going to have back next year? Who's maybe available? Who's not going to be available, right? Like to me, if Kirk Cousins were available, it's a perfect quarterback in this offense because they run a ton of play action. He's just mobile enough, although now he's coming off an Achilles. So who knows? But they run a lot of play action. And Kirk Cousins is one of the best play action quarterbacks in the NFL. He's phenomenal at it. Like I watched him shred teams legitimately just using play action and you know but is he going to be available do you want to invest that type of money on a guy coming off of an achilles injury at 36 i don't know there's no risk that is once they figure out the coaching situation right like for for argument's sake here let's say that arthur smith is back right that becomes the first question Maybe the first question is, well, are you doing anything to your staff? Beyond that, once all that's shaken out, whether it's th this staff, whether it's someone new, the first question is going to be quarterback. It has to be. That's, that is the biggest question of this offseason. There are other questions that are important. But the first question is by far, and probably the second question, too, is the quarterback. Uh, and and so, much other, so many other things have to happen before we can get a real sense of that answer. Yeah. No, I just, and uh, just one more question. Yeah, 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 sure. Not not team wise, just personal. Are you are you going to be in Detroit for the playoff game? I know you have some ties with the. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, if the Falcons are playing there, I will get. I will be there. Yeah. Uh, uh, other than that, no. Um, because I will either be uh, enjoying my first weekend off and probably be hosting some shows on ESPN Radio. I haven't talked to them about that yet. Um, or, 
I'll be covering a playoff game or if there's a coaching search, uh, generally when a coaching search happens, I can't venture too far from uh, Atlanta just because you just never, I've, I've learned that like I've gone through enough coaching searches in Detroit to know. Um, No. So I'm not planning on it. Uh, Now, if my bosses want to send me to it and, and, you know, and to be very clear, I'm not a Lions fan like that, that that pissed people off in (laughs) Detroit and much like I'm not a Falcons fan and that pisses seems to piss some people off in Atlanta. Like, sorry, I do not root for the team I cover. I don't root for any NFL team. Like, I don't. You know, I grew up a Jets fan. That was very easy to discard. Um, <laughs> it was. They can't, you know, I like, seriously, there are teams that can't have nice things. The Jets cannot. Yes. Yeah, they're one of them. They, they can't. It's, I mean, it's just true. Uh, and, but you, you, you really look at it and you say, you know, I mean, uh, I'm curious to see what happens with this Lions team. I think this Lions team is phenomenally good. I think they did a really good job constructing this roster. I think, you know, and when you you look at what Atlanta is trying to do, they look for similar players. They have a similar mindset in terms of how they like to play, right? Like they love strong offensive lines. Well, Detroit's might be the best or second best in the league, depending on how you feel about Phillies. I mean, you know, and they've been, they've had some of those guys for years. Like Taylor Decker has been there for years. Frank Ragno has been there for years. They spent a massively high draft take on Panay Sewell. Uh, they brought back Graham Glasgow, who was, I think, happy to come back. Um, what if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You know, defensively, they do some things differently, but they even drafted a similar type player, right? Bajan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs. Similar types of players, different skill sets a little bit, but similar types of players. They have the one star, really star wide receiver, Alan Ross, St. Brown, Drake London, a tight end that they really try to use or, or can be a, a game breaking type tight end, Kyle Pitts, Sam Laporta. Like they're constructed similarly. The difference is right now they have a, a quarterback who's, you know, but remember when they got, when they, I mean, I remember this being a cover this thing, not to go all Detroit Lions. Los Angeles Rams conversation, but when they traded for Jared Goff, people were like, why are they getting Jared Goff? And I was like, listen, they're traded for the draft picks. If Jared Goff ends up being good, the Lions won this trade, no matter what happens with Matthew Stafford. It worked out great for both of them, but they got, you know, a guy that they're probably, I mean, I would imagine they're going to want to hold on to long-term. So just saying like that, that's the difference right now. Uh, I, yeah, so I, I I didn't mean to go down to like a Lions conversation, <laughs> but um, you know, I've talked a lot. I've talked more about the Detroit Lions on ESPN Radio the last few weeks that I've been on because they're good, they're relevant. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. You know, they they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they and, and, are. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is going to be an interesting week. Um, I will say this: I have a story coming. I saw so a story run today on Drake London and his family. I have a story coming later to speak about kind of playoff scenarios. I will say this that. The Chicago game is not as important as you would potentially think. Yes, they, they need to win. It would be very helpful for them to win for playoffs. But, uh, it, you know, it, so much of this will come down to uh, 
whether New Orleans beats Tampa or not. Money if teams Tampa wins, Tampa wins the NFC South, and then it's a wild card conversation, and there's like a whole bunch of permutations. Yeah. But if New Orleans wins, then it's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, and you hope if you're Atlanta, you hope that Carolina continues playing as they have because they gave Green Bay all that they had. And they're they're looking better, you know. I mean, over the last few weeks. Yeah. What that yeah. means, I don't know. Yeah. No, but it's it's definitely interesting and there are a lot there are there are actually a lot of interesting permutations, but and that's the other thing is like it's the NFL. So like weird stuff happens every single week. Oh, right? I, I was talking so. to one player that I'm not gonna say who it was, but I was talking to one player and we were like kinda talking through I wasn't giving him the exact scenarios, but we were just talking about and I was just like, Man, if there's a tie, I might just and he's just he's like, Wait, a tie? He's like, What the hell happens if there's a tie? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Don't, you don't want I'm like, know. well, <laughs> I'm like, actually, if you tie, like, like you can be eight, eight and one and win the division by a half game. And you he's can. like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah. He's like, wait, was that that whole Chargers Raiders thing? I'm like, yeah, that's why Brandon <laughs> Steely's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that, that's, I mean, that, oh my God. That, yeah. But like, you know, I don't even want to think. Like I don't know if they're gonna cut it, but the last line of the story that I filed was very simply if there's a tie, I, I don't I don't have any explanation. Don't ask me. Don't yeah. 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 I, I basically <laughs> like if there's a tie, I'm just going to wait for whatever my ESPN staff the great people at ESPN staff and information said. Yeah. Um but yeah, I'm happy to take a couple more questions and then I gotta bounce. But if there are any couple more questions, I'm happy to take them. Yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead, Jordan. I was just gonna say, did we did we get a, almost like a little recruiting pitch for Ben Johnson just in case things go sour? <laughs> no, here you know, in, in this. No, Ben Johnson's a good coach. Oh yeah, he is. Um, I'll be very, but generally, when teams move on from a coach, you see them go the opposite way of what they have hired previously. Especially if it was, you know, if they think it was a, you know, unless it was a complete mess. And this, no one can say this is a complete mess. If you're saying this is a complete mess, you're just not paying attention to what was inherited. Um, I don't, I don't, I mean, Ben Johnson is a good coach, but I mean, would you hire another offensive play caller type with no head coaching experience? I don't know. Uh, maybe I guess. I mean, that would that would buck convention, and I mean that would be cool for me to see. But like my whole thing with coaches, and I think we're seeing Arthur Smith grow into this. Is I this is again just me. I don't care as much about like the guy who's called plays and being a coordinator. It's about especially on the NFL level. Can you manage people? Can you manage people well? It's actually why I we were talking. I was talking about this with somebody at practice. I don't understand why more special teams coordinators do not get real looks because they are the they have to deal with the the more people and diverse set of positions. It's almost like they're mini head coaches mm. because you have to deal with offense, special teams, specialists, and defensive players, mm. and balancing constant movement. Because if you have one guy that gets hurt. And the starting defense, well, you're going to lose that special teams guy and you have to fill in the other guy. Yeah. 
And we've and, seen it work really well for the Ravens, obviously. So yeah, obvious. Yeah, but but you don't see many special teams coordinators get that look, and I think that's a shame because to me it would make a lot of sense to do that. That more like the CEO type, like Dan Campbell, more of a CEO type. Jim Caldwell, more who was successful in both of his stops. You know, may have gotten fired at both of his stops, but he was successful. He ran into a horrific quarterback injury and then the chance to get Andrew Luck, and they wanted to clean out from top down in Indianapolis. And then Bob Quinn really wanted to hire his guy in, in Detroit. But Jim Caldwell, more of a CEO type. Um, like, you know, you try to think of some other guys. Like, I mean, even Belichick. Belichick's a defensive, but Belichick is kind of a CEO type in a lot of ways as well, just in terms of like his way, you know? Um, so I, those to me are sometimes the coaches that end up being a little bit more interesting, but it, you can go any which way of it. Uh, it's just a matter of um, what you're looking for. So no, it wasn't a Ben Johnson sales pitch, but I think Ben Johnson could be a very attractive <laughs> candidate this cycle. Yeah, for It sure. also depends what you're looking for, you know? I mean, uh, like to me, I know everybody talks about the Chargers being like the most attractive job. Well, what if you don't want to be tied to a quarterback? What if you want to be able to get your own guy? Well, that job is no longer attractive to you or as attractive to you. I'm just like, because you're tied into Justin Herbert, no matter what, by the way, and Justin Herbert, the two guys who have, he's coached have all both gotten fired pretty quickly. Um, I know. I don't think that's Justin Herbert's fault. There's a lot right. of issues there, yeah. but it's interesting. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, it's like there's a whole bunch of, of that too, especially with uh, a really interesting quarterback class. And that's the other part of it also, what you're talking about, uh, you know, to go down the draft quarterback situation, right? Not every first round pick, like, you know, people think like, oh, they're a first round quarterback. It means they're going to succeed. Nah, tell that to Brady Quinn, Achilles Smith, Ryan Leaf. Brandon Whedon, Josh Rosen, you know, those are like Blaine, Blaine Gabbert. I mean, Blaine at least hung around. He's still hanging around a yeah, lot, right? Like, uh, you know, you for every like Cam Newton out there, there's also three or four guys that end up not working. Mitch Trubisky is another one, right? Like ends up being uh, really more of a high end backup. Uh, type of thing like that, like just because you take a quarterback in the first round doesn't mean automatic success. Yeah, like yeah, it, it, it ends up being a lot of the situation that quarterback goes into with stability with the roster around them. I mean, that's really what happened to Bryce Young. I thought it was a good situation in Carolina for Bryce Young because of the coaching staff, and that coaching staff didn't last a season. And we're seeing because yeah, Caldwell, McCown, Frank Reich has been good with quarterbacks, and look what happened. You know, it's all – and C.J. Stroud, I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't think that was a great – Houston was a great situation for a young quarterback, and it worked out really well. So yeah. some of it's the player, some of it's the, the situation that, that you're looking at. And, you know, and sometimes you just don't know. Like, yeah. it's quarter, – evaluating quarterbacks is one of the – other than, like, hitting a curveball, it's, like, one of the hardest things to figure out in sports. Yeah. Because no one's been able to do it really – if you think about it with any level of success, except for, I guess, Green Bay, but their level of success is, hey, draft a guy, have him be successful for 20 years. Like, that's <laughs> really been their success. Is two guys, and Jordan Love looks all right, and we'll yep. see how he grows into it. But he don't forget, Jordan Love sat for, what, two and a half years, and everybody was like, oh, my God. Well, maybe sitting is not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it could be 
an option and you know we'll see obviously the direction they want to go this is an interesting class in terms of the draft there's obviously guys like justin fields and i know a lot of fans are worried about ryan Tannehill coming here <laughs> i think I you'd rather ha- i mean i think you'd, again it depends who the head coach is but yeah i mean they're playing chicago this week so obviously a lot of the conference and justin fields is a local guy to georgia but oh, yeah mm-hmm. i mean i I, I'm and I've been full on this for years, so this is not new. Like I'm not sold. I don't. I I I'm not as sold on Justin Fields as like almost anybody else. Like I, I just. I mean, he he. His decision making sometimes is baffling. Um, he just doesn't turn the ball over as much, but he runs the ball way too much. Like, and you saw what happened to Cam Newton toward the end of his career you see you saw really how they kind of changed a little bit what josh allen does right like the difference between josh allen and cam newton and justin fields and lamar is that lamar knows very well how to not take hits mm-hmm. like if you watch him play he is very much i'm not going to stand up and do it but he's just like boop, and gets out of bounds to avoid the big hit over and over and over again and also he's you know much faster than these guys yeah. but yeah. Uh, you know and a different type of player but like that's the th- one of the things that concerns me with Justin Fields is man, that guy's taking a lot of hits. Right? I remember last year he ran what eighteen times. Yeah, yeah. He was getting they changed up back. the whole. They changed up the offense back for him carries. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, if you remember, after Arthur Smith had said in the post game, well, they, they kind of ran him like a running back, which yeah. they did. Uh, yeah. They did. Like, and you want to know what? That season might have taken two off of Justin Fields' career as a quarterback. Yeah, it was a lot of hits. Of how much they ran him. Oh yeah. Like that's not a sustainable thing for a quarterback to do. And also, it creates, I don't want to say happy feet, but it creates a run-first mentality with your quarterback. I mean, you saw that with Marcus last year. Yeah. No, so – it, Anyway, that, that's a whole – It's an interesting – it's a great conversation, certainly for the offseason, and we'll, I'm sure we'll have you back on, and we'll, we'll talk about it once we get a better idea of, you know, is there going to be coaching stability? Is there going to be a new staff, a new offense? Maybe – I mean, there may be some coaching changes, even if it's not a change at the top. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But, Mike, really appreciate your oh, time yeah, happy tonight. To do it. Absolutely, and guys, he's at. I know I went off on and... some like longer. Oh no, it's cool. No, it's all that, good. No, we love the inside end. It's fun. Yeah. No, we appreciate you coming on. He's at Mike Rossi, and guys, Mike, anything else you want to plug? Um, no, I mean, like I said, I'm going to be on on Sportsman like the rest of the week, uh, six to ten a.m. on ESPN Radio, six to ten a.m. on ESPNU, six to eight a.m. on ESPN Two. Uh, I made the horrible mistake. We had, we did karaoke sing along today, and. Uh, <laughs> Made the horrible mistake of rapping Vanilla Ice. You can also oh, no. do a podcast. Oh, no. You want to hear me do that horribly? Um, <laughs> we, you know, uh, uh, that, so that's obviously one thing. I wrote a story about Drake London that ran today on ESPN.com. All my work is there uh, on ESPN, and I'm pretty much wherever you can find me: Twitter, X, Twix, Twix slash yeah. Threads, <laughs> slash. People always enjoy when I call it Twix, and then like. I, I kind of lost steam on it, but that, that yeah. was it, it you know, kind of obvious. A little bit uh, then threads, Instagram, all, all the same thing uh, at Mike Rothstein. And, you know, I, I try to be, um, as I think some of, you know, I think Alan and Adnan specifically can probably attest to this. Like, I try to be as responsive as I can when people have questions, as long as you're kind of respectful and not. Uh, <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I try to, it's a hard thing to do on social media, but I've really, yeah. I've tried to create like a respectful community in my world. Like, I don't, I don't mute people. Well, I shouldn't say that. I do mute people, but I don't block anybody unless you come at me with like stuff against my family or my religion. 
uh, like, or just are horrifyingly yeah. awful. Like, I, I don't believe in blocking people, but I will mute people. But I'm more than happy to engage in discourse and answer questions as best I can. And also, I mean, if there are questions and there's enough of a groundswell for it, I mean, in D. Alford, Mike Q's question is a great example. I asked Arthur Smith today because that's how I view, I view my, my job in a lot of ways is as a conduit between the fans and the, the decision makers, right? And, and sometimes the players. So I have no problem asking questions if there are questions that people have. I mean, if people watch the press conferences, usually I'm asking some of the more difficult questions and, and some of the questions that people want to know the most. Uh, and, and that's because I, I think that is part of my charge as part of my job. So, uh, you know, feel free to interact however it is um, that you that your preferred choice. Uh, I guess I'm on Facebook too at Michael Rothstein Journalist, but I don't quite use that as much. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, and, you know, and that's, and that's, yeah, that's really what I've got to promote <laughs> And plug uh, right. here. Excellent. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. And yeah, yeah. we'll see what happens on Sunday. I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I, this is going to be really, really fascinating. Did you have yeah. one more question? You look like you're about to ask. I'll say, like, yeah, if, yeah. if we have time, if we go have time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can answer cool. one more, and then I really do have to kind of go to bed. Okay. Cool. <laughs> no, for sure. It uh, comes early, man. It comes I, I believe it. it. Up on you. Yeah. I believe it. Oh, man. That just reminds me of training camp days. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> my question would be because I know you talked earlier about the evolution of the offense throughout the three yeah. years right so just and i just want to get from your perspective right what sure. are some of the evolutions that you've seen over over time yeah i mean some of it is how they're using guys right um i wrote about it in the or in the preseason well it ended up being in the regular season I was supposed to run the preseason and then my uh we we had to hold it because my dad basically had triple bypass surgery it's been a long year um uh, my dad had triple bypass surgery so all of a sudden i was like listen i gotta go back to new york and handle this uh, luckily, by the way, he's doing great. Um, good, good. He's back. He's back to his an annoying golf playing self. Uh, love him very dearly. Um, he, he is the best. Uh, but he has a better social life than I do most of the time. But anyway, uh, that's another conversation. Um, I wrote about his, uh, you know, the kind of the evolution of the positionless offense, right? Which I think a lot of people still are frustrated by because they feel like they haven't seen it, but. But in a lot of ways, you have because you see Bijan lining up not every play. I mean, he's still lining up the preponderance of times in the backfield, but he's lining up, you know, in the slot a decent amount. Occasionally, he's lining up outside. And sometimes when you're doing that, it's to drag defenses over. I know that really pisses people off, but like every guy in every offense. Is that right? I mean, they San Francisco uses McCaffrey like that sometimes too, because if Bijan can take two people that way, well, that if Tyler Algier is going that way, well, cool, he's got one guy to beat, you know. Um, but they've really evolved in a positionless way. You look at how they've used Kyle Pitts year over year. He's the perfect example of this. I wrote about this uh, earlier this month. Kyle Pitts as a rookie in a much different offense, because remember that offense under Matt Ryan was a pass-first offense. They really. They thought they had something in Mike Davis. They had nothing. And I know, seriously, I mean, Mike Davis, like running backs, when you're done as a running back, you're done. And Mike Davis was done in terms of being really productive. I agree. But CP turned out to be this, like, three-year, and we'll see he's, uh, he's his contract's up after this year. We'll see what happens. But uh, this really revolutionary type deal, right? So they all of a sudden used him a little bit everywhere. And they initially wanted to use him more as a receiver, like kind of how they're using him this year, lining him up everywhere, right? And how they used him last year. But they had to use him as a running back. 
And then he was so good, they started out using him there because Algier wasn't ready yet in pass pro kind of right away. Because remember, he was, you know, inactive week one. And then when CP got hurt, that forced them to evolve again. Well, this year, they got more players that fit this multiple roles thing. Like, I know people get so annoyed when Johnny Smith lines up in the backfield. <laughs> but I don't understand why. Watch when he runs, right? When he gets a tight end screen and runs. Last week against uh, Indianapolis is a great example. He got a tight end screen on a deep third down. And he, man, that dude ran like he was like a freaking like, you know, like uh, I, I can't even like, I was trying to think of a good example. Like, but he, he basically ran like, straight ahead like and if you got in his way he was going to run you over well having that guy in the backfield in short yardage isn't always the worst thing in the world to do because he can get pretty quick i mean he's one of the better you know yak tight ends in the nfl and was before he came like that was part of his allure in tennessee new england did not use him right yeah um anyway but this is a long answer to your question just saying the way it's evolved is that they now have three or four guys that they can line up a bunch of spots. Kyle Pitts, again, and this is where I started, his rookie year, he was basically their number one target, number one pass option, because at one point, remember, like, Olamide Zacchaeus was their number one receiver when Calvin Ridley left the team and Russell Gage got hurt. Like, they had nothing else. That's not a knock on OZ. He's a great blocking receiver. And it's good for a couple of nice plays a game. But, like, that was what they had. And Hayden Hurst was, you know, they didn't really know what to do with him. So you had that. So Kyle Pitts was the number one and really only option for Matt Ryan, who was a much better quarterback than anyone else they've had so far. Then they pursued Deshaun Watson. That doesn't go well on a lot of levels. And that kind of forces their hand with moving on from Matt Ryan, whether they wanted to or not. Because Matt Ryan was like, they they gave him the option to explore a trade, and he did, and that kind of made it happen. So all of a sudden, you're stuck with Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter, and you drafted Desmond Ritter. And so now all of a sudden you were having to run like kind of a run-based offense because if you ran a, if you ran that type of offense the year before, you would have won one game, maybe two, because uh, we all know that Desmond's accuracy is, eh, and we know what Marcus's accuracy didn't look like. And they had to run more of a run-based offense. They ran it with CP, who was there, and they tried using Kyle Pitts as a tight end even more because they needed him to be that and hoped that he would be that. Well, this year, you want to know where Kyle Pitts has lined up the least? Tight end. And it's not even close. Like, he has largely been a slot receiver this year and also lined up more on the outside, actually, at least as of two to three weeks ago when I wrote the story. They're not tight end. It was a little bit close. But they, he, they are using that, – that is the difference in the offense. They're using their players in different pieces to try. and Like, Arthur Smith's whole offense is about leverage and finding mismatch to create – you know, chaos and create problems for opposing defenses. And they have the pieces, The I don't like calling players pieces. They have the players to do that. They just haven't been able to do it consistently for, uh, you know, some play calling factors, quarterback factors, injury factors, uh, and sometimes what teams are doing to take guys away. But I think, again, going back to kind of the top of this conversation, what we saw last Sunday, you saw guys move in different places. You also saw them be much more comfortable in certain personnels. Like that personnel of Bijan Robinson, Drake London, Van Jefferson, Kyle Pitts, Johnny Smith. That's what they basically use that whole first drive and in key downs. Mm-hmm. So I think they've they're figuring out, okay, this personnel grouping, but you know, out of that personnel grouping, think of what you can do. You can go from anything from a kind of heavy, in theory, 
but you can go to more of a 22. You can go, you can go not 22, uh, 12. You can go empty. You can really stack and, and kind of get really bunched at the line. Like there's so much you can do with that. And then if you sub out because I don't know if people notice this, Matt Collins lined up basically as a tight end for one play. It was, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember seeing him like, hmm, who's that? You know, like no, it was out you're starting to see right? those little wrinkles that I think that they have been wanting to do but haven't been able to do for a number of reasons. So that's the Jordan. That's the evolution. Is that you know it's just taken a while, and gotcha. you know, and I, but that that's where the evolution has been. You know, I, their dream is that they can take five guys, and we've seen it a little bit. Put five guys out there, and all those guys can line up anywhere. Yeah. And, and we've seen it at points because that's what Johnu brings, because Johnu can line up in the backfield. Kyle Pitts can theoretically line up in the backfield. The only guy in that thought process that's not going to line up in the backfield is uh, Drake London. Right? Yeah. Like, we've seen more two-back sets where Bijan's outside. Like, the other bat thing that we haven't really seen is, like, kind of like a pro set, which I would – think would be really interesting no teams run a pro set anymore i don't understand why but like a pro set with like algier and patterson or algier and robinson like that would be oh. fascinating if you ran a pro set with those guys because i think that it would be like you, you, you're you preaching now yeah messy i like this this is, this is I like this. in me guys like they're <laughs> in the damn pro set i wish they had i have searched far and wide to find one pro set in madden Okay, like I play in this 32 team Madden league, and everybody's like, where everybody's a human, and you can't create custom offensive playbooks. And I've just been looking for a damn pro set. If someone knows where a pro set is, tweet me because I, I want to be able to use it because I have two good running backs. It's very frustrating. Anyway, that, that I don't think we're going to see a pro set, but hey, you know what? Arthur Smith's like his run, his run stuff is really creative. I think we're starting to see some of his past stuff that's create getting to be more creative as well. It's just, Honestly, it's taking time. And that's, I know that's not an answer that people want, but that's the truth. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. All right. Great insight there. Thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. All right. Now I need to go to bed. Uh, <laughs> thank you, guys. We can do the rest of the uh, y'all, have great, you. y'all have a great new year and uh, keep up the great work. Absolutely. Thanks, appreciate Mike. you, Mike. Have Thanks. A have a good one. Thanks for, thanks for joining all right, guys. Well, appreciate Mike. Appreciate everyone for hanging out with us tonight. Also, of course, want to thank Jordan Watkins as well for joining us. Jordan is at Big 75, fellow host of the Falcons Fade podcast. Jordan, anything else you want to let the people know about? Uh, you know, I think Sunday, I mean, nothing really to plug. I think Sunday's going to be really interesting. Uh, you know, this is one of those things where I think just from multiple sides, right? I know a lot of people have interest in Justin Fields. I agree with Mike in terms of I'm not as high on him, I think, as other people are. I think you see the highlight plays. And it's like, yeah, we want that. But it's, sometimes it's the not highlight plays that really frustrates me with Justin Fields, you know, the, the simple ones that you got to hit. Um, but even just from a Falcon standpoint too defensively, this is the type of quarterback that's given us fits, mm-hmm. right? Mobile guy, you know, like to Mike's point, he's going to look to run pretty early, not really go through reads and whatnot. And just like we've had frustrations 
about our schemes and concepts. Chicago's had the same thing going for them this year in terms of schemes and and whatnot as well. So that's another reason why he has to run. Um, so look again, we we've seen certain games where whether it was Kyler, Josh Dobbs, uh, you know, you name it. This is what we struggled against. So I just want to see, you know, obviously in the big time must win, got to have a game. Uh, what what is that defense going to look like? What's going to be the rush plan up front uh, with Justin Fields? If you do make him escape, are you going to try to make him escape just to a certain side, right? Like they did that with Garner Minshew. I think uh, Mark Schlereth kind of talked about it on the uh, on the broadcast, which I'm, I was really happy he did because sometimes, yeah, you do drop a pass rush to make somebody escape the pocket, right? But it's you want to make him do it a certain way. So I'm really intrigued just to see what the rush plan is going to be on Sunday. Yeah, no, that's going to be a fascinating one. And it's going to be a tough game, too, because the Bears have been playing hell of a lot better lately than they were uh, earlier in the season. So it's not going to be uh, an easy game for sure in this one. Uh, but thanks again, Jordan. Appreciate you coming on. Appreciate all you are bringing to the show as well. Uh, we also got with us, of course, Adnan Ika. She's at Say Which Way. Adnan, anything else that you'd like to add before we sign off tonight? Um. Mostly if you are on playoff watch right now, the teams you need to be rooting for this weekend, just a PSA, um, the Packers over the Vikings. The Falcons have beaten the Packers in that head-to-head matchup. They've lost to the Vikings. And if they want that wild card spot, you don't want to be tied with the Vikings for it because, um, you know, you screwed that up. Um, root for the Steelers over the Seahawks. Root for the Giants over the Rams. I know that. That probably won't happen. And um, as disgusting as it is, root for the Saints over the Buccaneers. Hell no! Got to root for the Saints if you want any chance of winning this division because Bucks win, clinches the NFC South. The Falcons need the Bucks to lose to the Saints and the Panthers, and they need to go up to New Orleans and win that game. So, yep, just, just a PSA of, you know, where your rooting interest should be if you are gunning for the division or a wild card spot. I'll root for the meteor. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, guys. Well, thanks to to Adon as well. Then of course, Alan Sterk with us as well. Alan, anything else you're working, uh, anything else you're working on anything else you'd like to plug before we sign off tonight? Man, there's a lot going on at one o'clock this Sunday. There's a (laughs) a lot of games between the Rams and well, then, of course, Sunday night, Packers, Vikings, go, going to New Year, maybe the Falcons will be the eighth seed. You know, I know it's not the NBA, but I think that's your best hope for Sunday in terms of making progress. Uh, besides that, you know, looking forward to Sunday. I do have my Jeff review coming out tomorrow morning for Falcons-Colts. And if I could say anything about the Falcons-Bears matchup, because, you know, let's not forget the trade deadline talk. Good old uh, Montez Sweat will be playing. He's had uh, quite the impact with the Bears so far, but he has feasted on a lot of backup tackles. Will Kevin McGarry be healthy? But then again, Storm Norton has played relatively well. And yeah, imagine yeah. Caleb Mary, McGarry coming back and allowing two sacks to Montez Sweat. I'm sure there you go. Yeah. Twitter will be in a full-on frenzy. But uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's one of the best. It's a great matchup. I, I've been, you know, we've done the post-game shows for almost all year, Kevin. I've been talking to the Bears. This is going to be a tough one. Uh, and oh, yeah. I'm yeah. very much looking forward to it. But yeah, Montez Sweat against either Caleb McGarry or Storm Norton. That's the matchup I'm going to be tuning yeah, that. That was a little sketchy, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. It's going to be a tough game. Uh, almost Falcon Montez sweat, but we, we, we'll save that for another day. But, guys, thank you so much Ooh, for hanging out with us tonight. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I was going to say one more thing, because I know this is, like, uh, the, the reports come out, the, the Broncos might cut Russell Wilson right in March, I think. Oh, God. And so, of course, you know, people are just like, ooh, Russell Wilson to the Falcons. Well, I guess my main question of that is, 
let's just say hypothetically, the Falcons signed Russell Wilson. Does that mean that we can't play future at at, at the Benz? Because if we can't, <laughs> if we can't, that's then you can't, you can't. You can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's done. That's yeah. done. That's I need Tom Montana. I need March Mad. I need March Madness. I need stick talk, itching, all of that. So no, if we can't play future at the Benz. Then uh, uh-uh, we got to get the yeah, quarterback. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think last time Russell Wilson played at the Benz, future pulled up. I think it was the divisional round in 2016. <laughs> oh, and the Georgia yeah. Dome. Yeah, that's right. Yep. yep. Man, that's how long ago it was the Georgia Dome. Oof. But yeah, for, for the sake of all the fans immediately, no, Russ and Atlanta. We all, come on. We're trying, we're trying to make progress. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to make progress. Yep. Well, we'll save that'll be for the, the offseason quarterback conversation because uh, yeah. there's definitely a lot to get to with that one. But guys, thank you so much for tuning in with us tonight. Thanks for hanging out. I uh, hope you guys had a wonderful holiday season. We will be back, of course. I uh, will have a, a pre or well preview show coming out over the next couple of days talking about this bears game. And then of course we'll be back for the post game show following the game on Sunday until then guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Kevin Knight at Falcoholic. Kevin, please like subscribe. If you're on the YouTube channel, leave that five star review on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, if you're interested in supporting the channel, we got channel memberships for the video viewers and Patreon for the podcast enjoyers uh, until next time, guys, thank you so much for tuning into the Falcoholic live. We will see you then have a great night folks. <laughs>